Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I just want to give a special welcome to all of you this morning, uh, especially if you're new or visiting with us. We're always so glad to have you come and worship with us. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to dive into our last message from the Sermon on the Mount. We're wrapping it up today. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this chance to gather together to worship you. Uh, we know that that's not uh, something that everywhere in the world is, is accessible. And so, Lord, we praise you for this opportunity to be here. Uh, and Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. You uh, gave this Sermon on the Mount many, many years ago, and yet it's still relevant to our lives today. So, Lord, would you use your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to encourage us, to challenge us, to follow more after you, uh, whatever that looks like. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I said, we are in our last message in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and as we have been doing, if you are have a question throughout the message, you can submit it on our website, and uh, we'll try and do some question and response after uh, the message. And we've been doing it for the Sermon on the Mount series. We're not going to do it for Advent. So if you've got a question from the Sermon on the Mount that you really, you know, you haven't had a chance to ask yet, uh, this is, this is your, your chance. So if you have a question, feel free to go to our website um, at any point during the sermon, uh, and we will take a few of them after, after the message. So I'm guessing that all of you here have some topics that you don't always feel the most comfortable talking about. So maybe they just, you know, make you a little uncomfortable. Maybe they make you feel awkward when they're brought up. Maybe it has more to do with the person that you're talking about the topic with than the topic itself. But I think we all have these things uh, that just, when they start to come up, we, we just know, oh, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. And I was thinking about this especially because with Thanksgiving coming up this week, many of us will be getting together with relatives and friends. And sometimes there are certain topics that you just know are maybe not the best to bring up at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I Googled, uh, I just typed in, Topics that make people feel uncomfortable. And here were the top ones that popped up in the list. Politics, understandable. Religion, personal finances, death, gossip, and sex. And if you've been with us through this sermon series, we've seen that Jesus is not afraid to make people feel uncomfortable in his message. He talks about many of those things that I just listed, in addition to murder, adultery, divorce, how to treat your enemies, how to handle your money, hypocrisy, conflict, and anxiety, just to name a few. So basically, you know, if you're at your Thanksgiving table and someone asks you about church, you know, talking about this sermon series might bring up some of those uncomfortable topics with the rest of your family. But as we've seen throughout the message that Jesus gives, he brings up these topics because he is calling us to follow him in a deeper way. He continues to ask us to look at these uncomfortable things in our lives and ask how we can follow him in that. 
And so as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount today, it really should not be a surprise to us that Jesus is going to continue to push us out of our comfort zone and make us ask some hard questions. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be an authentic Christian. So I'm going to, let's see what he says. I'm going to read uh, the passage for this morning. It's Matthew 7, verses 29, or 21 through 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears uh, these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, uh, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So oftentimes I think when we read this passage, the part that makes us a little uncomfortable uh, is verses 21 through 23 where Jesus says things like, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that might stress us out a little bit because it might make us question our own standing uh, and our own faith with God. Or maybe we don't like the idea of some people not being uh, included in the kingdom of heaven. But either way, it can kind of give us pause when we read this passage. And if that's where you're at, I think that's exactly where Jesus wants us to be. He's making this summary, this final conclusion about the Sermon on the Mount uh, and what it looks like to follow him. And he's making a distinction between those who authentically follow him and those who are inauthentic Christ followers. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The big question we're going to ask is, what does it mean to be an authentic Christ follower? So we're going to use this passage to kind of talk about that. Um, And I want to talk about what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, Uh, and why it matters for us in our daily lives. So I actually want to start with what it doesn't look like. So what doesn't it mean to be an authentic Christian? In this passage, Jesus says that not everyone who claims to follow him is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on. It might feel a little unrelated. I know throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about how um, Oftentimes we hear one section of it and we hear it out of context. And so sometimes these different parts might feel like they don't connect. But Jesus goes on to talk about what it, uh, he gives this analogy about a wise builder. So how do you build a house on a good foundation? And the really interesting thing about this foundation analogy is that when you look at a house, you can't really tell if it has a good foundation. Right? Maybe if you are someone who is a builder and really knows a lot about that stuff, you might be able to tell. Um, and I know we have people at our church who are in that category. And sh- sure, there are signs. Right, You can look for cracks. You can look for different things to give you. Um, you can walk around the perimeter of the house and kind of look at the bottom, see if you can tell. 
But from looking at a picture of a house, right, you're not going to be able to tell if it has a strong foundation from the outside. And I, to be honest, don't know much about house building or foundations or any of the things that go along with that. So I did a little research this week. Um, and uh, I one website for, this is like a company that fixes foundations. And on their website, it said, the signs of foundation problems can be insidious, for they can mimic conditions that are benign. For instance, do brick cracks or that little crack in your basement wall add up to nothing? Or is it a sign that the house is sinking into the earth? <laughs> and so now I am afraid my house is sinking into the earth. And because I spent all this time looking up stuff on foundations, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get like ads for foundation repair for the, you know, the next six months. But what I learned is that the foundation of your house is really important. It's foundational, right? That's where that word, you get the whole word right in there, to the integrity of the house. And this was true in the ancient world, too. And as I did my research on what foundation building looked like in the ancient world, it actually wasn't that different from what we do now. They dug deep to try and get down to a solid foundation, and either they packed rocks in, uh, or they used this form of concrete, like a basic form of it that uh, was around even then. But from the outside, two houses built on different types of foundations could look very similar. One of them could have a real foundation that's built on rock, and the other one could not, but they might look from the outside like the same. And Jesus seems to be saying that that's the case for authentic and inauthentic Christ followers as well. And he gives us some examples of what might be some of those things that look the same from the outside for both authentic and inauthentic Christians. So first he says that they have the right beliefs. So in this passage, in the example that Jesus gives, the inauthentic Christian comes to him and calls him Lord. Now, in Jesus' time, Lord, the same word, could be used just as like a, a title like sir, like a, a polite title to address someone. But in this instance, uh, in the story that Jesus is telling, this person seems to acknowledge that Jesus is the ultimate judge. And so if you're acknowledging someone as the ultimate judge of all time, you would think that it would be a little bit more meaning behind it than just sir, right? This person seems to see that Jesus has uh, a lordship that they recognize. This is also, if you look at the Greek, this is the first time that Matthew uses this particular word for lord, and he uses it many times throughout the rest of the book, but this is the first time that it shows up. And so many scholars think he's putting it here to add emphasis and to show that the people who are talking to him, talking to Jesus, acknowledge Jesus as Lord, as more than just sir, but as something bigger. So it's a pretty big theological statement, and it seems to show that this person knows the right things. They know who Jesus is. Uh, they have the right beliefs. And yet, they aren't presented as an authentic Christian. Secondly, we see that this person has passion. They come to him and they say, Lord, Lord. And if you repeat someone's name or repeat something, it usually shows emphasis. It shows emotion. And that was especially true in Jesus' time. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about the passage where Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha. And, you know, he says, Martha, Martha. And we always kind of laugh because it sounds like the Brady Bunch. But it's like there's this emphasis. There's this emotion behind it that comes with it. 
So this person is expressing emotion. Clearly, they feel strongly about Jesus and about talking to him. They are emotionally invested. They have passion. And yet, they are not presented as an authentic Christian. And lastly, we see that this person has served others. They say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied. We drove out demons. We did all of these things. We performed miracles. They did all of the things that would check the box of doing the right thing, being actively engaged, serving other people, and yet they aren't presented as an authentic Christian. Now, this is a little disarming because these things, having the right beliefs, having passion, and serving others are all things that we would uphold as parts of following Jesus. They are good things. So why would they be present in someone who is not presented as an authentic Christian. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller sums this up well, I think. He says, the presence of these, tra- or the absence of these traits means you're not a Christian. So in order to follow Jesus, that is part of it, right? Having the right beliefs, feeling emotion about it, and serving other people, those are parts of what it looks like to be a Christian. So if you don't have those things, it probably means you're not a Christian, But the presence of these traits does not necessarily make you a Christian. Just having the right beliefs, just having passion, just serving others doesn't automatically make us Christian. These things are all important fruit that come out of following Jesus, but it's not the thing that uh, makes us a Christ follower. And I was really struck by this as I was studying this passage because In my experience, uh, in churches or in Christian groups, usually they're really focused on one of these things. I've been a part of contexts where groups have really focused on making sure everybody has the right doctrine and the right beliefs. The identity of following Jesus really comes from what you know about God and about scripture and about what that all means. I've also seen groups that are really focused on the experience of following Jesus. They're all about creating atmospheres where you will feel emotion or passion, and that kind of drives what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to worship him. And I've also been a part of communities where the most important thing is your, uh, how active you are in service, what you're doing in the world, how you're making a difference, what are you doing for the kingdom of God. And I'm sure that Rest City leans into these things at times, too far one way or the other. And again, none of these things are bad in themselves. They're part of what it means to follow Jesus. We should see these things in our life. But they aren't the thing that makes someone an authentic Christian. So if all of that's true, then we really need to ask, how does Jesus say he's going to know authentic Christians? And the answer he gives us is by the foundation. So let's see, what does it mean? What does it mean to be an authentic Christian? Well, we see in this passage, first, people who are authentic Christians have relationships with Jesus himself. In the scenario that Jesus describes, he tells the inauthentic Christ followers in verse 23, I never knew you. You were doing all these things. You were learning about me, feeling things about me, doing things for me, and yet I never knew you. We never had a relationship. John 1 talks about this uh, in verses 10 through 13. It says, 
Jesus was in the world, and, through the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we see that God came to us as a human being. He came down to our level to be with us in a way that we could actually understand, to be in relationship with him, to be in a partnership with us. And unfortunately, many didn't and still don't receive him in that way. So I want you to think about it. How would your friends or your spouse or your kids pick someone in your life? How would they feel if you studied them all the time? What they did, where they went, what they, you know, how they acted. And in addition, you felt deeply about them. You really loved them in your heart. And you did many things to serve them. But you never actually spent any time with them. You never talked to them. You never listened to them. It wouldn't feel like much of a relationship to them on their end, would it? In fact, as I was thinking about it, I realized that when someone does these things to someone that they don't actually know or don't have a relationship with, we sometimes call that stalking. If you, you know, study someone, if you feel strongly about them and maybe even do things like send them gifts or do something that you are trying to serve them, we don't look very kindly upon that. Like, that's not something that we uh, encourage. And yet we do that all the time with God. Because the truth is, is that we can want all of these good things, want to even do the right things, and still not want God himself. And God is not just a set of beliefs to learn about. He's not some emotion that we need to build up during a worship service. And he's not something that just asks us to just constantly produce or do things for him. He's an actual being that we can be in relationship with. And he shows us that really clearly in coming as Jesus uh, to us in the form of a, a human. And for many of us, I think these things, these beliefs and feelings and actions, they can be so tied up in our understanding of God that we lose track of the big picture, right? We lose the forest for the trees. Because all those beliefs and feelings and actions, they're not bad, but sometimes they can become a distraction from actually being in relationship with Jesus. Sometimes even good things can be distractions for the ultimate thing. The second thing that Jesus highlights is that authentic Christians do the will of my Father. That's what he says. And this is, in many ways, getting at that commitment piece that Joel talked about last week. So if you were here with us last week, Joel read the passage right before this in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And he talks about how we need to be willing to commit to following Jesus and not always waiting and kind of keeping our options open in case something better comes along, but actually committing to following him. And Jesus sort of continues that point, makes it even finer here in saying that authentic Christians do the will of his father, hear his words, and put them into practice. Now you might think, 
wait, see, Jesus is saying it's about what you do here, right? He's saying it does matter. You know, that's the number one thing is that we are doing things for him. But I think the key part in this passage is that, is that idea of the will, the idea of doing the will of the Father. Because if we're doing the will of the Father, then we're not going after our own will. We're surrendering our own control and submitting or committing to the will of the Father instead. And that's hard to do. Like Joel talked about last week, we want to have it all in life. And that applies to our Christian life as well. We want to have all the benefits that can come from Christianity, like the sense of love and community, or a sense of purpose and belonging, identity. But we want to still live our lives our own way. We want to have deep community, but we don't really want to commit. We still want to be independent. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but we also don't want to give up our own dreams. We want to have a deep, rooted identity that can't be shaken, but we also want to be the one who has control over crafting that identity and creating it. Oftentimes, we really want to follow Jesus. I don't think you would be here if you didn't want to follow him. But we also want to remain in control of our own lives. And I don't know about you, but I can like viscerally feel this in myself sometimes. I can feel this tension of knowing what it looks like to follow Jesus and knowing what I want in life or what I want in that moment and how they're different. And I can feel it pulling me, pulling me towards Christ and yet wanting to pull away and follow my own will. And that leads us to hanging on to our own will even more tightly instead of being willing to follow the will of Jesus. Uh, there's a pastor named Ike Miller who uh, has put it this way. He says, many of us are building our lives on the sand close to the rock, believing that when the storm comes, we can just quickly move our house over to the rock. But houses don't work that way, and neither can our faith. We want to follow Jesus our way. We want to follow our will and add in Jesus when it's convenient for us. We want to do it on our own timing, and we want to do it the way that we think is best. We want to build our lives close to the foundation of being in relationship with Jesus and surrendering our lives to him so that we can just fully commit and fully hop over when it's time. But that's not what it means to be an authentic Christian. And as he does with everything on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the ultimate example of this. He follows the will of the Father all the way to the cross. And we know that that wasn't his preference. We hear him in scripture pray, Father, if there is another way, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do the will of what you're calling me to. If there's any other way we can do this, I will do it. But he listens when God shows him, no, this is the way. This is the way that will lead to life. And so he says, okay, not my will, but your will be done. So when we know Jesus and submit our wills to him, that's when we build our lives on the foundation of the rock. Which leads us to our last question. Why does all of this matter? And I think there are both internal and external implications for what it means to be an authentic Christian. I think it matters internally for us, uh, personally for us, because even though you can't see the foundation of a house, you can tell how it's built when a storm comes. Verses 24 through 27 say, 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So the foundation of a house doesn't matter that much when you're looking at it, but it does matter when there's a storm. And houses built on sand aren't that stable. In my research of looking up how houses are built and how foundations work, there are still questions like, I, you know, asking like, building houses on sand. And there are people on like Reddit forums being like, how can I build my house on the sand? And everyone that comments is like, you can't, right? It's not going to work. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. So apparently this is still true. This is a universal truth. Um, because what happens is that sand can be washed away. It's not stable. So when a storm comes, you're going to run into problems. And this type of storm language is used in scripture often to describe both trials that we face, difficulties in our life, and also the final judgment. And so if we believe that Jesus is our Savior, then obviously we want to have our house built on him, built on the rock for when the time of judgment comes. When he comes back to make everything new, we want to be a part of new creation. We want to build our life on the foundation of a relationship with him and surrendering our lives to him. And it also matters to have our lives built on the right foundation for when we face trials in this life. It matters that knowing Jesus and surrendering the control of our life to him so that we're ready when the storms and the trials and the challenges come. When we build our life on Jesus, our identity, our purpose, our worth, it's all found in him. And trials can't change that. Nothing can take that away from us. There's no storm that can remove that or break that. But if you build your life around your education or your work or your family or your status, those things aren't stable. They can be taken away from us. And when they do, if that's all that your life is built on, then you're going to have nothing left. All of it will be gone. As I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about it um, like Legos. Uh, if you build a Lego house on one of those like Lego plate thingies that's in the picture, if someone, you know, if a kid runs through or if something happens and it gets knocked over, it's probably not going to sustain that much damage, right? The house is still connected to that, I guess, a base plate, if that's what it's called. I was clearly not a Lego builder as a child. Um, you know, it's a little bit more stable. There's more of a foundation there. So if it gets knocked over, it's not going to be that hard to rebuild or to, to keep intact. But if you build a freestanding Lego house and someone knocks it over, a lot more damage can happen because there's nothing for it to be anchored to. There's no deeper uh, rootedness that holds it in place. There's nothing that can withstand the storm. When we build our lives connected to Jesus, our foundation, then storms are a lot less problematic. They're still hard. Challenges that we face are still going to be difficult, but we know that we have that foundation, that identity, that our life is built around something that no challenge can take away. 
But when we don't, when we build our lives around our own desires, our own will, then we stand to lose a lot more. And I don't think this just matters to us personally. I also think it matters externally to the people around us, the people who witness us. And I don't actually think I need to probably press this point too hard. I've talked with many of you. I know that inauthentic Christians really bother you. People who confuse following Jesus with politics or legalism or culture wars or people who say they're Christian but then have these secret lives of scandals that come out. It's frustrating. I understand that. I feel that too because it damages the witness of the church when the church is supposed to be uh, ambassadors for Christ. But if we're honest, when we think about who are those inauthentic Christians, our minds pretty quickly jump to other people, right? Those people out there who do X or Y or Z, those are the people that are the problem. Those are the inauthentic Christians. So we have to ask ourselves, what has Jesus taught us so far in the Sermon on the Mount about when we judge other people and then turn around and do something similar? And I'm sorry for the reference. I had to do it. It's been stuck in my head. And I, if you don't get it, then you're probably better off. But uh, throughout the entire, when our community group went through that whole uh, thing on, you know, the taking the speck out of your own eye before you're trying to, you know, or the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else, I could not, this is all that was going through my head. But there's some truth to this, right? We have to be honest and look at ourselves first, look at our own lives And ask ourselves truly if we have those markers of what it means to be an authentic Christian, about having a relationship with God and surrendering our lives to him. Because we don't always live that out if we're being honest. I know I don't. We are also the problem when we try to take control of our own lives. And that's why this passage is a little bit uncomfortable, Right? I talked about that at the beginning. It's an uncomfortable thing to sit with and ask ourselves what it looks like for us to truly follow Jesus in our lives and to take him seriously and to examine what it, you know, are we relying on these external things or are we truly in relationship with Christ? Are we truly surrendering our lives to him? And we're all going to sin. We're never going to live this out perfectly. We live in a broken world. And so There's not this pressure that we have to be perfectly following Jesus all the time because the good news is that our foundation is built on Christ, and Christ is the foundation of grace. I mentioned at the beginning that this message, this idea, can be troubling to us because it makes us question our own standing with God. And as I said, we're never going to live this out perfectly We, like everyone else, have sin inside of us. We are part of the problem. But there's always enough grace to go around in Christ. Because if our foundation is built on a relationship with him, we know that it's built on a foundation of grace. We enter into our relationship with Christ through grace, and we stay in our relationship with Christ through grace. He comes, he lives the perfect life and takes on all of our sins so that we can be brought near to God, that we can have that close relationship with him. And it brings us really back full circle to the beginning of Jesus's message. So if you remember in the very first Sermon on the Mount message, uh, Joel talked about how Jesus starts his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
And when we practice regularly repenting of our own sins, seeing how we are part of the problem, and we turn to Jesus, we say, I am turning from my own will, my own agenda, my own ways, and I'm trying to follow you. I'm going to look to you and to see what you are calling me to. Then we are practicing building our foundation uh, on Jesus. We're regularly talking with him. We're seeking him. We're spending time with him. And through that, we have a better understanding of what it looks like to follow him. So think about it this way. To build a foundation, you have to dig deep, right? You can't just start uh, on the ground. You have to dig down into the ground to get to a solid place where you can build that foundation. And I think as we practice this uh, habit of repenting of our own way and turning to follow Jesus and surrender our lives to him, we're sort of practicing digging for that foundation. Every time we do that, we are digging a little bit deeper. We're following Christ a little bit more closely. We're leaning into him a little bit more, and we're building that solid foundation that we can rely on, a solid foundation that can withstand the storms, withstand the trials, and will withstand the final judgment. We're building our lives on the foundation of Jesus himself and the message that he gives us particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, but also through his entire life. And so we're actually going to get a chance to practice this. Uh, Every week at Resurrection City, we uh, take communion together. And that's part of the way that we practice, that we dig this foundation. Because every time we come to the communion table, we remember what Christ did for us. And so we can repent from our own ways and turn to him, turn to his grace and lean into that a little bit more. So we are going to have a time of worship and communion, but as I said at the beginning of the message, we are going to take some questions first. So if you have any questions, feel free to uh, submit them, um, and then we'll see if we've got anything we want to talk about. Yeah, we got a couple of questions in here. Uh, First one, um, a bit of a paraphrase here, but talk a little bit more about assurance of salvation in this passage. Um, How can we feel sure that we're on the right foundation. How can we trust that and not be in constant fear that maybe we're not or that we might, you know, lose our salvation in some way? Yeah, and I, to be fair, I don't think that this passage is really like, this is like, if, I, if someone asked me, how can I be sure about my salvation? This is probably not the passage I would turn to because I don't think that's like what Jesus is addressing here. I think here he's more talking about what it looks like to follow him in this deep, radical, countercultural way, as we've been talking about. But I think other places in Scripture, we do see that we have this assurance of foundation, uh, assurance of salvation uh, through Christ. And I think, um, kind of going back to that idea of what I said of, we enter into our relationship with Christ through grace. It's only through grace that we are saved, uh, and that continues to be what saves us. Grace continues to carry us through that Um, And so, again, I don't think he's trying to say, like, if you don't do this perfectly, then you're not going to you're not going to be saved at the final judgment. But he is calling us to think about what it looks like to radically follow him, knowing that we have that foundation of grace and knowing that we have been saved through grace. And again, none of those external markers of what we can do or how smart we are or how moral we are, none of those things are going to impact whether or not we are saved through grace. Cool. 
All right, uh, last one here. Um, how can I do foundation repair before nice. a storm? So how can, I, how can I know there are cracks and fill them that's off kilter, and what do I do if I discover that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I learned a lot about foundation repair as I researched all of these different things. Um, but I, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, we see in this is that Jesus is calling us to this now, not in a time of, of a storm. He's not saying, like, wait until you get to this really hard thing in life and then go try to fix it while you're in the middle of, like, rain and, you know, a crazy storm. It's something that we should be thinking about ahead of time. Um, and we know that we all will face trials. Jesus tells us that. And so I think having this idea of, of working towards this foundation, digging that foundation is really important and repairing it. And I would say my biggest thing would just be, you know, asking, are there areas in your life where you feel like you're trying to hold on to your own will instead of letting God uh, be the one who's in control and surrendering to his will, to following him, even though it's radical sometimes, even though it's challenging, even though it's very countercultural? And then the other thing I would ask is just, how is your relationship with Jesus? Right? Do you feel like you have a relationship with him? Or, or do you feel like you're kind of just checking the boxes? You're doing the things, the external things. Um, you're stalking God, essentially. Uh, or do you actually feel like you're in relationship with him? Um, I know, you know, this church kind of came out of another church. And, and the context that we are in, the, the community that we're in, a lot of the focus tends to be on um, having the right beliefs. I would say, like, that's probably a context that a lot of you can uh, relate to. And I think it can be easy to um, just study or just feel like, oh, I just have to learn. I just have to know these things about God without actually, you know, listening to his spirit, creating space in your life where you can sit with God and not just constantly be moving, constantly be producing or doing something. Um, but yeah, try to try to lean into that relationship the same way that you would if you had a friendship or a marriage or um, a parent-child relationship where you felt like things weren't um, maybe the best, like you felt like you could see some cracks in that relationship, what would you do? Well, you'd probably spend time with them. Maybe you'd get help from other people of like, hey, how can I better, you know, show up in this relationship? There's a lot, of, you know, I think thinking it about it like that from a human sense of relationships can be helpful um, and can kind of make it feel more real to us rather than just some like distant thing where I'm trying to learn or check boxes or whatever that might be. Cool. Great questions. Um, thank you guys for participating in this question and response throughout this sermon series. We've had some really great questions and it's always great to hear from you. So we thank you for, for participating in that. We are going to move into this time um, of response through uh, worship and communion and prayer. So if you are thinking about those things, if there are uh, questions that are still in your mind or things where you might feel God tugging you and saying, you know, here's what it looks like to follow me. Can you lean into this a little bit deeper? I invite you to really reflect on that in this time. Uh, I also invite you to pray for uh, those around you. I think sometimes we can make communion a very individualized thing, but we take it together. It's communal. Uh, it's something that we do as a church, and so I encourage you to pray for uh, others around you as well as they think about what it looks like to dig that foundation. So I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we'll have the worship team come up and continue to worship through song. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our foundation, that when trials come or when things are challenging, we know that we uh, have everything that we need rooted in you and that you um, have showed us that most clearly and made us made that clear or available to us through Jesus, through his words and his teaching, but also through his death and his resurrection. So Lord, as we take communion, as we remember what Christ has done for us, uh, we just ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would help us carry that reminder, not just from today, from right now, but into our week. We would remember that this is a foundation of grace and that we can continually repent and come back to your grace uh, daily, every moment to moment, uh, and, and weekly as we do every Sunday morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>